Well, if you were to go to a, a bookstore today, you would likely find books galore on the topic of finding God's will for your life. I mean, there's a whole bookshelf on them. You could go to the internet and find blogs, and you could go to your podcast menu and find tons of talks on how to find the answer to your life. And I, and I think it's really actually a, a, an important question because you guys are, as college students, at this very pivotal point of your life. I mean, you're here trying to take a major, trying to figure out what skills you have so that you can be set up for your future. But it's also a very unique time, too, because... Like I mentioned just a moment ago, you're making big decisions too, right? I mean, some of you are wondering if the girl that you are now dating or you want to date uh, might one day be your wife. And some of you are wondering if the guy that you're now dating, if he were to ask you to marry him, whether or not you would do it. And you know, not all these things are big decisions. And in fact, I love a story that we have heard from, from... um, that I mentioned this summer when I did a Bible study on, on this topic from a writer named Barry Schwartz. He has a book called The Paradox of Choice. And in it, he talks about the challenge of choice. He talks about going to his local, his local um, grocery store and looking in the aisles there and seeing about 150 salad dressings and being overwhelmed with the choice of which one to pick. The basic premise of his argument in that little section is as follows. No matter what you pick, you're doomed to feel miserable about your salad dressing choice. Why? Because of this is why. Because with every option that you didn't choose, the, it beacons and screams ever louder that you may have made the wrong choice. So you can't enjoy your ranch or your thousand island. Because why? Because you're worried about the other 148 choices that you didn't pick that may have made you happier. Now, why is that so important? Well, I think that's very important as an illustration about some of the anxiety that we often feel about making decisions and what God wants us to be like and to do in the future. And so we're often left with confusion and complexity about our future. Now, you add to that the general nature of our fears, right? It's scary to think about the future. It's scary to think about what I'm supposed to be doing. And here's the great hope in many ways is that God made you limited. Did you know that? He didn't make human beings with the ability to see into the future. So in some ways the pressure's off and I hope we'll see that tonight. But here's the underlying sort of condition that I think that we find that the book of uh, Proverbs is going to address for us tonight. That all of us knows what it's like to be afraid or to be fearful of the future. And know that we, knowing that we have choices that we must make, boy, the anxiety can feel really, really heavy on our hearts when we think about it. But the great hope of the gospel that we're going to see tonight is, is that Christianity tells us that we have a God that utterly cares for us, that is disposed to do us nothing but good. And because of that, we really can trust Him and trust our futures to Him. So tonight we're going to take a look at that very topic. We're going to take a look tonight at this idea of decision-making and the will of God. And I think it's very important that we see a couple of things. I'll mention them in a moment. Before I need to do this, it's often common for writers to cite their sources. Speakers don't do that near enough. And so tonight I've been very, very helped by not only what Tim Keller writes about in his book, but there's a great lecture, a great sermon I would point you to uh, on this very topic by a man named Rankin Wilburn who has an excellent treatment of it. I'd, be, I'd highly recommend. And then lastly, I would just say if you're re- looking for a book treatment of this, there's an author by the name of Kevin DeYoung. 
And he has a book out called Just Do Something. And I highly recommend that as well. Some of you, those who are with us this summer, as we looked at a summer Bible study, will remember that title. So what are we going to look at tonight specifically? Well, I think underneath three headings, the Bible is going to show us how we might become wise in this world. In other words, I'll frame it like this. The Bible is trying to make us wise with respect to how we make decisions. And what three things do we need to do or see to become wise? Well, I think it falls underneath these three headings. First of all, we need to keep the tension. You can write that down. Keep the tension. Secondly, we're going to see that we need to rest in God's character. And then thirdly, we're going to see this, that we step out in courage. So let's take up the first one there, this idea of keeping the tension. And let's go to our text together. One of the things that you'll notice is that the Proverbs has a view of life and our decisions that we don't have. It holds things in tension that we often seek to resolve on one side or the other in our minds. Take a look with me. Look at verse 16.1. I'll read it there. It says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Skip down to 16.9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And then I also like what it says in um, verse 19.21, that many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Now, let's just take 16.9. On the surface, it looks like it is speaking out of both sides of its mouth, right? I mean, it's what? 16.9 says this, that hearts, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord is the one who establishes His steps. So which one is it, right? You see, it's, is it man or is it God? Is man's future dependent upon Him? Or is it dependent upon what God says? And if we were to ask the Bible which one it is, the Bible would say yes. Say <laughs> so yes. Of course. Because why? It really is both. Now we don't like this. Because typically the way that our brains work is we seek to reduce reduce this down to one of the other. Our Western minds think in thought categories different than the Hebrew way of life. And so the one of the two ways that we seek to reduce it down, right, is this idea, if you're in a philosophy course, this is determinism, okay? This is philosophical determinism. And basically what that is, it's the view that says we are completely determined by forces outside of us or forces inside of us, if it's scientific naturalism, by our biology or by our sociological factors outside of us. All choice is really just a byproduct of biochemistry and genes, so therefore no real freedom exists. On the other side of that, the second view is the far more common one in our day and age, and certainly so on the college campus, certainly at a place like TCU. It is the what? It's the take the bull by the horns way of life. You are, as the poem Invictus recites, the master of your own fate. You are the captain of your own soul. And this view says that there is nothing acting outside of ourselves, that we are the ones to determine our steps. And so do you see now? Why we don't like what 16.9 is saying? It's because we want to reduce what? What the Bible is holding in tension. You see, the Proverbs, as you could guess, are saying that both are true. That man plans and his decisions really are his and they really matter. And that God is the one that establishes. 
that no plans will ever thwart God's counsel on things. Look at 21.30, Proverbs 21.30. Let's just read this together. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. You feeling confused yet? You feeling it angst a little bit? This leaves us with what the theologian J.I. Packer has said as is an apparent antinomy. It's when things look like they're at odds with one another, but they aren't in reality. There is this tension there. We may not know how to explain or see or reconcile them, but they both exist at the same time. Let me give you an illustration from my background in, in, this, in the hard sciences. One quick way that we see this in our everyday world is specifically from the field of quantum mechanics. No, I'm not a physicist, but I, um, I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, I guess. But that the issue is this, is that our best physicists have been saying for years that light behaves at the exact same time as both a particle and a wave. And when they observe it, they can see both. How they reconcile it, nobody knows. But we live with it, and we keep going until there is a better explanation of things. Well, I want to say this. In the same way, philosophically, the Bible gives us its own categories. That God is both in control of all of life and in all things. That's what we know as the sovereignty of God. He reigns and rules over everything. And that man has real choice and real freedom for his future. Moreover, this is very true for the Christian life itself. Listen to what Paul in his letter to the Philippians says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There it is. We take responsibility. We work it out. We're living it out, right? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So God is working as well as we are. And what's the point? We are to, by His grace, live out the life, live out the life, I should emphasize, that God has so graciously worked into us. Why do I belabor this point for you guys? What's the big deal about keeping this intention? Here's why. Proverbs wants to make us wise to keep that tension that God really is control of all things and that we plan and choose, and so on. It, it, it's saying you have to hold these together. And if we fail to do so, the fear that we have about our choices and our futures will very ironically not get better, but will only get worse. Let me put it like this. Are you willing not only to accept what the Scriptures say about how you ought to live your life, which we've been considering all semester long, but to accept as well the very thought categories that the Bible is giving us. See, I'm asking you tonight to begin to be shaped, to have your mind shaped by the very thought categories of the Scriptures, that these two things must be held in tension. And I'd like to show you now in these last few minutes on this point why it is so critical that they do. Why? Reason number one. If you reduce this down and say that your choices don't matter, in other words, it's only God that's at work, does that make sense? You all follow me? You've reduced it down and you said, this is all that matters. I would like to suggest to you that you'll actually begin to move into despair. Why? God made you. He made you for a purpose. He made you to work, to create, to love, 
to choose and to will, to want things. This is who you are as a human being. As a woman or a man made in God's image, you were given this as part of your constitution as a human being. God has made you this way. And if we remove that, if we take that away, guess what? You in the process dehumanize yourself and everyone else because you're taking away a capacity that mankind was given from the very beginning. And when that begins to set in and you dehumanize long enough, despair is soon to follow. Also, if this happens, you'll grow lazy and you'll grow, as the, as the category of the this, of this Proverbs will see, you'll grow sluggardly, which I love that word. And, we'll, and, and the Proverbs just simply don't want you to be that way. But if you reduce, on the other hand, the fact that God is completely sovereign of all things in your life, you'll grow increasingly despairing as well. Why? Here's why. You'll grow nervous and anxious about every little decision that you make. I mean, if it's all up to you, do you know how crazily obsessed you'll be, or at least you ought to be, about every major decision in your life? If you can't screw it up, if there's thousands of options on hand, have you considered them all? Have you done homework and stuff? I mean, how do you know you're in the right major? How do you know you should have worn a blue shirt today instead of a red shirt to the interview that you could have gotten? How do you know the girl that you wasn't supposed to be your wife. You screwed it up. Do you want to live life like that? I don't. The Proverbs free us from both errors and say they go together. We must keep that intention. And if God is sovereign and your choices matter at the exact same time, we're going to see that there is real freedom to choose. And these Proverbs are going to give us and to lead us into that view of life. What will it look like then to begin to trust God with all of our fears about the future and the decisions that are part of it. And I'd like to suggest that moves us now into our second point, this idea of resting in God's character. Resting in God's character. If you will, uh, turn with me to your eyes to Proverbs 21.2. In it, it says this. It says that every, man, every day of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. The Proverbs is telling us that God weighs or He scrutinizes, He sees the heart. While I didn't include the text before it, it refers to a king whose heart is in the hands of the Lord. In other words, the highest ruler in the land, his very heart is in the Lord's hands. And the Lord directs it like a, like a stream of water, he says. And here's the picture. That God brings blessings and life through the king to those in his kingdom. Now the picture in 21.2 is that God is weighing and examining the hearts of people. People who trusted in Him. And the proverb is saying, in effect, this is very important, that God will not fail to give everything to His people for flourishing that His people need. You see, when He says that God weighs the heart, you can't think like He's sitting like an angry judge. You have to think about God as someone who is this benefactor. Someone who is loaded with care and resources. It looks at your heart. It looks at your heart. He looks at your life and he says, what do they need? What do they need in this moment? And how can I dispose myself to giving them all that they need? Our God is not a miserly God. You know what I mean? He's not stingy with His grace. He owns the cattle on a thousand hill 
The stars are his and every planet in it. And the God of the universe is saying, I am the one who gives to those who are in need all that they need for life and flourishing. Now, why is this so, so important? In short, it's showing us that the sovereign God that we just spoke about is not somebody who is disinterested and disconnected with life, but instead the one who rules over all things and governs and cares for all things actually bent his heart toward your good. That the God of the universe is not, he is not withdrawn, but instead he, he rushes in to meet our needs. That's the picture that the proverb wants to give us. Why is this so important? This is telling us and inviting us to respond to the goodness of God. How? Here it is. Resting. By trusting. By placing our lives in His hands. Why? Because He is so concerned with our good and our welfare. For those who are in Christ, every fiber of God's good and holy being is bent on nothing but goodness to us. You know, that's what the cross tells us, right? The cross tells us there's nothing left anymore between us and God. He's not angry anymore. He's not upset anymore. He doesn't look at you in shame. He doesn't look at you and help you fail and rub your nose in it. But instead, He says, your heart. And it's full of great delight and enjoyment. And how am I here to serve you? That's what the God of the universe does. He is our king and yet he is our servant. And if this is true, God's sovereignty is meant primarily then not to be a philosophical puzzle that we debate and argue over. Believe me, there's been plenty of that. But rather, it's meant, I love this image, to be a pillow on which we rest our heads for comfort. He cares for us because he is good. And for those who are disposed to do good to you, can't you entrust them? I mean, can't you trust yourself, entrust yourself to them? We do that left and right. When we know that people are saved, we give ourselves to them. And that's the image. That's the image that the, that the proverb is writing. I love what former RUF staff member Paige Benton Brown, she once wrote on this very topic. Paige was a single late in her life. And she was married later. And um, she desired to be married all through her 20s. And this, as you can imagine, left her wondering about the sovereignty of God in her life, about how His goodness would be disposed to her. I'm trying to be practical here for a moment. She wrote an article which I highly recommend. And it has this portion in it. Do you have the... Somebody have the clicker? Sorry, I'm going to click. No, I did. Okay, wonderful. There it is. Sorry, y'all. Right there. One, two, here we go. Okay, there we go. Listen to what she writes. She writes this. My younger sister got married two months ago. She now has an adoring husband, a beautiful home, a whirlpool bathtub, and all new corningware. Is God being any less good to me than he is to her? And her answer is a resounding no. Now look up at the screen. God will not be less good to me because God cannot be less good to me. It is a cosmic impossibility for God to shortchange any of his children. She continues, 
but I want to be married. I pray to that end every day. I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. And I may never have another date and die an old maid at 93. Why? Because God is so good to me. Not my will, but His be done. Until then, she's making a joke. I'm claiming as my theme verse, if any man would come after me, What did she do, y'all? She was banking her present and her future on nothing but the goodness of God to her. And that's something you and me are going to have to be able to do if you want to live wisely in this world. You're not going to be able to understand the course of your life if you divorce yourself from the good heart and character of our God. Let me show you how this works out. Do you think about your future this way? Do you say, I have a good God loves me and cares for me and has promised his best for me as he defines good, not that I define it, and I trust in that. And I just want to say, most of us don't live that way. And so we often resort to a series of strategies that are all too common in Christian circles. And if you're not a Christian here tonight, please bear with me for just a moment because much of what I'm about to say is going to sound like silly and crazy talk, and in many respects it is. So what are some strategies that we begin to see ourselves employing instead of casting ourselves headlong into the goodness of God. Ready? Here's number one. We look for open doors, don't we? Know what I'm talking about? Open doors? I'm just looking for that open door in my life. Not the language out of the Bible, actually. It's actually from the book of Revelation. But I think that's a strategy that we think about and we think, boy, if I just saw an open door, I'm waiting for God to open that up for me. And if it were to open up for me, then I would know which way to go. Secondly, we look for peace. How many of y'all have ever made a decision on something? You're saying what? Man, just, God just hasn't given me a peace about that. Or I, I'm feeling really good about that. I'm feeling really good peace about it. So I'm going to make that decision to go that way. Am I ringing anybody's bell yet? Or how about this? Ready? We look for some sort of impression. Some sort of internal impression on the heart. Now some of those impressions are actually really good. But here's the thing I would like to say. Why are these problematic, this idea of open doors or inner peace or just an impression? Because we can't know that they are from the Lord. It's that simple. Epistemologically, that's your $10 word for the day. You cannot know that they are from the Lord. There is only one source that you can know is from the Lord. This right here. This boy right here. That's it. That's your sole source of authority if you're a Christian. And so here's why I want to say this, because you know why I want to think about this. How do you know that the open door isn't the greatest temptation that Satan is putting before you? Secondly, if Jesus was waiting for peace in the Garden of Gethsemane as he writhed in anguish, he never would have gotten himself off the ground and gone to the cross for you. And then lastly, impressions can be great. But let me remind you, they are only impressions. And what we say is, is that God's Word, He has given Himself to us in His Word. His goodness has been put on display to us here. And these things, while they, are, they might be helpful in some sense, they don't have the weight and the authority that we ought to trust as we move forward. My point is simple, friends. 
Instead of looking for these wishy-washy methods, yes, surprisingly even methods that God himself is sovereign over, why not put your trust and confidence in that which is rock solid, the goodness of God for you? Never change. It'll never change. God's heart will never change in any other direction. But good. That's the hope that we have. God's character is the only source sure rock for our futures. If we don't have it, we'll crumble. We'll live topsy-turvy lives. But he, if he desires to give good gifts, oh, and he certainly does. How are we, his people, to respond in practical living? And I think that's where this last point comes up, and that is that we step out in courage. My former seminary professor, Dr. David Jones, who's gone to be with the Lord, he once said this quote, and I love it. He says, the real challenge, put parentheses for the Christian life, is not knowing what to do. The real challenge is not knowing what to do, but instead, what? Finding the courage to do it. Most people don't need more information for the Christian life. They need a shot in the heart. Right? We're all like cowardly lions from the Wizard of Oz, right? We need hearts. Because we're afraid. We're scared. We need courage. Right? And knowing that God is good to us, the Proverbs give, give us help to instill courage in us. Literally, the word encouragement means to put courage into us. Look at 16.3. Let's read this together. He says this, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Now, this is really interesting, because most commentators and preachers on this, they point this out in their death life. But this means that when one entrusts the entirety of one's work to the Lord, he will work out the plans. Did y'all catch that? We think it the other way. If I give, my, if I give God plans, then he'll work everything out. Mm-hmm. It's the way. We take the entirety of our work and entrust it to the Lord, and the Lord in his kindness and his goodness to us works out all the plans. That's what that text is telling us. And so we, that's telling and showing us this idea that we give ourselves over to this in the details of our life. Here it is. When God has our trust from the word go, we can trust Him with the details of our lives, even the details that we freely choose. Sort of personal anecdote. I can remember being in your chairs, gosh, you know, back when I was graduating college. And it was soon after that I was working for the ministry Young Life, and as I was, we were at training one time, and I was, I was, I was single to the bone, y'all. I mean, I was single, and I wanted to be married, and I wanted to have a girlfriend. I remember sitting at this training uh, camp, and I was just sad because I was like, God, why is it that I trust you with my eternity, but I cannot trust you with somebody today? Some girl to go out with. Why is that? I need to Proverbs 16.3. Trust me, Ron. I'm working out the details of your life. Step out in courage and trust me. That's what this is getting at, right? Should this be done without caution? No. 16.25. It says there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. That's reminding us what? Be skeptical about our own way. We need to be self-critical about the plans that we see as right in our own eyes, especially apart from our trust in the Lord. 
And this is where things get entirely practical in a couple of ways. And I just want to hammer in on this for a few moments. We tend to think of God's will for our life like a tightrope, don't we? We have to walk it perfectly or we'll fall off of it, right? So it's like, keep it like this and move real slow and put the next foot down. And I want to suggest, can you take that image and throw it away? And instead, would you begin to think about the decisions in your life like you're jumping in to the ocean to go for a swim? And you can go wherever you want. And the confines of it are the coastlands. That's the picture the Bible wants to give you. Why? Because God is in control. The God is in control. Now you say, Ryan, still talk. You tell me that God does not care about the God does not care about the details of my life. No, I actually do think He has a plan for your life. But listen to me. If you if you've been asleep, wake up. He nowhere expects you to figure that plan out and then seek out that plan specifically. The scriptures just don't talk like that. He has not told it to you, and therefore he isn't holding you responsible for it. Now, does that set some of you free? Instead, when the Bible talks about God's will for your life, it says it like this, eyes on the screen. It says, I can tell you God's will right now for your life. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Your life, I want you to look like Jesus. Secondly, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For what? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You. Here's the will of God in your life, right? I want to be made more and more in a holy like Christ. That's God's will for your life. And two, to live joyful, prayerful, and thankful lives. No matter what God wants your way. There's God's will for you. So, Ryan, surely God cares about these big decisions in my life. Yes, He does. But He is inviting you first and foremost to trust Him no matter what you decide. And this is why Rankin Wilburn says it so perfectly. He says this. The most important decision is the decision before the decision. Will I trust God with whatever I choose? And y'all, that just sets me free. Well, I trust God that no matter what I choose, I've entrusted that to Him. And that now begins to open up to you liberty and freedom to go ahead and go on with your life. You see, if we take it seriously, we can say this, that you cannot screw up your life ultimately. You have a good shepherd who holds you dear. He holds you in His hand, John says, so that you cannot jump out of it. And I love that beautiful picture. And so what does this mean? I think, I think these three, three questions are very, very helpful. Ready? Or four. You ask the question, is it sinful? You know what? God's been praying for me, and he's been praying to God, and uh, he's told me I need, I, I'm supposed to leave my life. Uh, no, he's not. Go back to your life. You're smoking crap. <laughs> Secondly, have I sought out wise cancel, counsel? Thirdly, have I prayed? And then, here's the big one. The one that of a with. Are you ready for it? Then you choose. You pick. You go swimming. You see what the sovereignty of God is meant to be? Oh, you lay your head on? That's 
a lot of great options out there. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? You want to please God? That's great. That's the first question. But what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Look at verse 20-24, and then we're going to shut it down. A man's steps are from the Lord. Here it is. I love it. How then can man understand his way? The Bible is saying this. You don't even understand the only way, your own path. Because God himself has so gotten you. And you're going to think your life's going to go this way? And God himself is saying, nope. So just don't do you any good to worry about your life. And instead, the Bible is inviting you into trusting him and stepping out in courage. Here's the real heart of the matter, says Kevin DeYoung. Does God have a secret will and direction he expects us to figure out before we do anything? And the answer is no. Yes, God has a specific plan for our lives. And yes, we can be assured that he wants things for good in Christ Jesus. And yes, looking back, we will often be able to trace God's hand in bringing us to where we are. Key sentence. But while we are free to ask God for wisdom, he does not burden us with the task of divining his will for our lives ahead of time. And y'all, that is just meant to set you free. My aim for tonight was to show you the Proverbs show us a view of reality where God is sovereign for all things. Even all of our mistakes, and this is going to be a comfort for us as we make future decisions. And I hope to show you now why we can trust Him. The cross. It's all in the cross. In an interesting place in Acts 2, we see, here it is, the sovereignty of God and the decision of man colliding in the most disturbing and beautiful ways. It references the death of Jesus on the cross like this. This Jesus delivered according to the death and foreknowledge of God. You crucified by the hands of lawless men. They come colliding in together. And what is that showing us? That Christ was given up for us. He ultimately is the proof, the display of God's goodness to us. You see, on the cross, Jesus willingly chose to die so that we wouldn't have to. He chose death for us in the ultimate display of courage. Jesus stopped step Courageously into death. He might step courageously into life. The Father who loves and pardons us punished and condemned Jesus on the cross for us. And when you see that, when you see Jesus dying in your place, dying for your sin and unbelief and rebellion and rising to new life for you, do you know what? You can know. There it is. Epistemological certainty. You can know that God is for you. And you can know that He holds you. And you can know that He is disposed of nothing but good for you. Listen to how Romans 8 puts it. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? That's a future you can bank on. Let's pray.